Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm delighted to be here. I wasn't able to be here yesterday, so I suppose coming into the room today, it kind of feels like walking into the kitchen at a house party where a really serious conversation has happened and you just walked in. Um, so hopefully um, I won't repeat what everyone said yesterday or something like that. Um, I'm going to be talking about a show I made recently. Hang on. I'm going to be talking about a show that I made recently with my company, Theatre Club. We were awarded a public art commission by Dublin City Council and the residents of St Michael's Estate to mark the regeneration of the estate, which is a 14-acre site in Inchicore, not five minutes away from here. That, place, that piece became history, the final part of our trilogy of plays about Ireland. Theatre Club worked in collaboration with the residents and the community of St Michael's Estate on the project for two years. I was the director, writer, producer of that project. Very early on, I realised that I could never get this right. The task was to mark, to commemorate, to bear witness, to represent St Michael's estate. But why and to what end would have to be discovered. The first line spoken in the show is, in a lot of Irish plays, there are monologues. The monologue is very popular in the Irish play. Plays are very important in Irish history. We have a strong cultural tradition of understanding our past through plays that reference, reenact, and represent moments in our history. Rita Fagan, the director of the Family Resource Centre in St. Michael's Estate, walked into our rehearsal room in November 2011. She and her colleagues in the community of St. Michael's had been working with the Dublin City Council to commission a high-quality piece of contemporary art to mark the regeneration of St. Michael's Estate. Theatre Club had just been awarded a residency to begin researching what our response would be to this place. She had been working in St Michael's Estate since 1985. A few months previously, she had organised a heritage walk of the local area and Lauren Larkin and I attended. Lauren and I worked together in Theatre Club and we were hungry for inspiration. We had no idea what we would make about this place. Up until then, the only thing I knew about St Michael's Estate was that it had been a fortress of drug abuse and deprivation in the late 90s when I was growing up five minutes down the road. On this heritage walk, I discovered that on this land, there were symbols of our entire social history. There was much more to the story than that. Today, St Michael's Estate looks like a big empty field. It looks like a place where things used to be. If you went there today, behind me, you would see an old city graveyard. Daniel O'Connell had bought this land in 1824 so Catholics could say prayers at the graveside. I had never heard of Golden Bridge Cemetery. Our first Taoiseach, W.T. Cosgrave, is buried in there. It was his vision for the new state that he took charge of that it would provide social housing for its people. Up until recently, his grave lay in the shadow of the last eight-storey tower block of St. Michael's Estate. It's hard not to see the pathos in that image. And that's just for starters. There are three buildings to my right. These are the last three remaining buildings of Richmond Barracks. This is where the 1916 revolutionaries were taken after they surrendered, but nobody knows that. That part is not in the history books. But we do know that they dreamed of a nation where all the children would be treated equally, because they wrote it down and we all read it, didn't we? There's more. Directly across from that is the site of Golden Bridge Industrial School. I had read about what happened there in the Ryan Report. I stood there and looked at the building and I thought about young girls making rosary beads and standing waiting on a landing all night waiting to be punished. But there was more to find here still. After independence, the barracks buildings were turned into Kyo Square and people lived here for 40 years. This was our first attempt at social housing. There was no heating there and no running water. This was called the debtor's prison. This is the place where you were sent when you couldn't pay your rent. 
By the late 1960s, the corporation were forced to knock the whole thing down and chalk it up to experience. St. Michael's Estate, built from the leftover housing stock from Ballymun, was a new way to live in the city. People are going to live in the sky. These towers meant hope and prosperity. It meant that we were getting it right. In 1998, due to poor maintenance and bad housing policy, everyone who lived here voted to knock the whole thing down and start again, again. Unbelievably, four times in the last 15 years, the people of St. Michael's Estate were promised regeneration, and four times they were let down. In 2008, Bernard McNamara pulled out of a public-private partnership to regenerate the area. It's hard to describe the shame that I feel as an Irish person when I think about the reality of what I've just said. That heritage walk was on a sunny day in July, and I watched Lauren and Rita walk ahead. I thought, what is the difference between Lauren and Rita? I had the idea that the estate could be Ireland, and Ireland could be the estate. It reminded me of the Yates play, Catalina Houlihan, that I had been reading and discussing here at the Abbey in the new Playwrights programme. In the play, an old woman comes to the door of an Irish peasant family and asks for help protecting her four green fields which have been stolen from her. She is Ireland, and her fields are Ireland too. I began to see Lauren, these 14 acres, and Rita Fagan, and myself, all as Ireland too. And the show was born. History a story about a place. Our intention was to tell the last 100 years of our country's social history through one 14-acre site, which simultaneously houses the attempts and failures of the Irish state to care for its people. Easy enough. But that wasn't really our idea. As you've heard, that was there when we found it. They say Michelangelo didn't carve David out of the marble. He found him in the stone. Rita Fagan was the first person to come and see any attempt we had made at stage in the play history. She was concerned. Be very careful how you hand people back their history, she said to me. And those words stuck with me. If you've met Rita, you know why. I was in good company learning that lesson. Very often, Irish people don't like how they are represented on Irish stages. The go-to examples of that are the riots here after the Plough and the Playboy, part of the romantic history of this institution. And very often that moment is used as a comparison, a criticism of theatre today. It just doesn't make people riot like it used to. <laughs> today, if people don't like how they are represented in any play, or like the current production of The Risen People here, the most that we're going to get out of them is a tweet. I think riots have become something that we as theatre makers in the last few years have been told to look for. But why is, riot, why is rioting a good thing? Why is rioting the only way to mobilise people? I don't think that theatre has lost the power to mobilise people. The plays that were performed here, like Kathleen Houlihan, made people go out and fight in 1916. The theatre was an integral part of that. There was no division. I know that theatre has the potential to do that again. I know it does it to me. With history, I wanted to make something happen more than watching and witnessing. I wanted to give people access to action. I wanted to shine a light towards doing something about all of this. I'll try now to talk a little bit about how I went about doing that. But I should say history was made with over 20 people and an entire community. So whatever I say is just me speaking subjectively. That's my little disclaimer. <laughs> um, Inspired by a strong tradition of creative protest in St. Michael's, I had the idea that the whole audience would leave the theatre together each night and go on a march to City Hall. The idea was, wasn't to do that because of romance or idealism, seriously. It was about a simple act of solidarity. 
It was a placeholder for the one small thing every single person can do. It was a space to meditate on our own agency as citizens. It was hard for people to believe that this would happen. I sounded like a crazy person. Everyone told me, no one will do that, no one will leave with you. Would you not just stick to the place? Don't get in over your head. I think as an artist, my responsibility in how we deal with our past is to dream on a big scale. So I was determined, I soldiered on. I remember when my mother took me and my brother to Bail and Blah to see the place where Michael Collins was killed. We stayed there for over an hour and I was very moved, but I was also excited. The story of our nation is a tantalizing romantic battle where good triumphs over evil. I could see the theatre in that, the film before the film was made. We are the little guys and we beat the bad guys. We are Rocky in Rocky V. <laughs> the worst things that could ever happen to us have happened and we have survived with a glorious culture and a reputation around the world as the absolute crack. Most of the people I know now would feel very complicated things about that. In the last 10 years, there has been a glorious outpouring, a, a, a massive outpouring, a cry of sorts that says, that is all a lie. We have no glorious past, only shameful secrets and political corruption. Even as a child, I could see the fiction and all that romance there too. I wonder why we need that fiction. The reality is that we can't all agree on the past. I believe that we as a nation are suffering the effects of trauma. That really hurts. That is something very hard that we are all dealing with on a daily basis. And I knew that that would have to be part of Lauren Ireland's story too. Making history was the hardest thing I ever did. I was writing the unwritten history of our country to expose the massive human rights atrocities which had taken place here. Because what happened here, it didn't just happen here. What happened here happened all over the world and it was happening over and over and over again. I felt a responsibility in talking about our contentious history to provide a way to empower people to be part of real change. That was my challenge. That still is my challenge. In the same place as the visionaries of the nation talked about a place that cherished all the children of the nation equally, the biggest human rights abuses in our country had taken place. A big part of our narrative, a big part of our story would have to be that the dream had never come true. Children performed in the show, children were at the heart of the process. Part of the style was to ask, how would you explain the complexity of that to a child? I spoke for hours to Christine Buckley. She grew up in Golden Bridge Industrial School and she's one of the people who made the Ryan Report happen. She told me that when people come to her in the Ashling Centre, the place she now runs that helps victims of child abuse, um, the first thing she says, the first thing that she says to someone when they come into her in the Ashling Centre is, I believe you before you open your mouth. I talked to a nun who worked in Golden Bridge at the same time as Christine. She told me that Sister Xavier, who was the manager of the, of the school when Christine was there, sat in her deathbed. Should I have loved them more? Should I have hugged them more? She told me, Christine Buckley told me that we are victims until we become survivors. How do you get to be a survivor? I asked her. Therapy, she said. I thought about that a lot. In therapy, you rake over the past in order to find the lessons for the present. I began to think of this show like a journey from victimhood to responsibility for Ireland. I felt responsible as an artist and a citizen to aid that process, to bring Ireland from victimhood to survival and responsibility. As a theatre maker, I could contribute in a very real way to the mood of what was happening out there, if only to the few hundred people who would get to see the show. I could offer them catharsis. I talked to people who lived here. 
hundreds of them. I took their witness statements. I tried to document their experience. From the man whose family lived in the land for generations, only to have his home demolished on a promise from Bernard McNamara, and then be left with nothing. He told me there's not even a plaque to say that this is where Kill Square was. To the lady who was the last person to live here, who moved all her furniture out of her tower block on Christmas Eve, because she was the last person left and it wasn't safe anymore, who was still waiting for her house. Her son was five when she started to volunteer campaigning at regeneration meetings, and he's now 21. I was there. I got to know people. I made friends. I listened. I navigated a complex matrix of trust where I was constantly searching for my own version of the truth. We always worked on site. We held open rehearsals. We didn't work with anyone. We didn't work with anyone. This was not outreach. We all worked together, egalitarian. Actors would be improvising and getting notes from the people who lived there, and sure, why wouldn't they? We were in a surreal, new and complex space. How do you be careful with how you hand back the history when the people who lived there are sitting right beside you? And will you get a riot if you do that? How far is too far? I spent a long time wrestling with my conscience about the how of what I would represent of what happened here. I didn't want to just read the Ryan report out loud, just because I knew it was more complex than that. I wanted to present more than that. I didn't want it to be us versus them. I wanted to ask the childish questions. I wanted to say, why are people poor? I suppose, like all good artists, I learned that it would have to be about me. I love Ireland. I love Lauren Larkin. I think that what artists do is infuse the dialogue with imagination. My Ireland was Lauren Larkin. My Virgin Mary was Louise Lewis. Shane Bourne played our whole government. Barry O'Connor was the revolutionaries and Ger Kelly was all of you, the people watching. In the end, what happened didn't really matter. The facts, the figures, the stuff I stayed up all night over. What mattered was how we felt about what happened. That was that it was a wake and a baptism all at once. History is a hopeful journey from victimhood to responsibility. We talk a lot lately in the theatre about what it means to bear witness to our shameful and troubling past. I've sat in this room on many occasions in the last five or six years and watched the nation reenacted to moving effect. We talk a lot lately in the country about why we don't do anything about anything. Ireland is a place where you can say what you like, but you can't do what you like. A monologue is one version of the truth. If I was here on this stage performing a monologue, I would be pretending that you were someone else and that I was someone else, and I would be recounting for you a version of the truth. We knew that to do what we needed to do with history, we would have to show many different perspectives. We knew it was not enough to just bear witness. I think that what we did in the end was we explored the complexity of what happened here. We staged the complexity of our Irishness with all the shame and celebration. At the end of what we showed to our audience, they were invited to leave the space with us together and to walk to City Hall together. We asked them, will you walk with us? Every night I watched people agree to come with us. I watched them walk behind Lauren in her green velvet cape. I am very proud that what we showed activated people to do that, to say yes. I don't know exactly why they did it yet, but I am just at the start with this one. It's a rare and strange thing to sit in a room with strangers nowadays. And there's a power in that. Irish history is painful. I am glad that our version of history in some way pointed towards the future. We didn't set out to and we didn't solve anything. We set out to give people access to the various ways of doing something, anything. We asked them to think about what they wanted. As an artist, it's my job to ask questions and I think that I did that. 
I often feel a lot of pressure from the world outside my world to write the answers, but I just feel like that would be terrible art. But then again, maybe people would riot, and that must be what I want. People took to the streets, though, after the work I made. But did anyone really know we were there? Does anyone really know that we're here now? Will anyone really hear what I'm going to say next? I feel like there's further to go. I feel like I've got more to do. It doesn't stop here, it starts here. I still have so much more work to do on all of it, it's massive. And that's kind of why it's hard to stand up here when in many ways I don't feel like I've done it yet. But I know that I'm going to keep trying. The first part of the trilogy is the family, a close-up of the first society where it all went wrong and where it all went right. The second part, heroin, looks at what happens when we leave the home, and history is the third part. The next thing I want to do is I want to try and show all these over one day in 2014. I want to bring strangers into a room to witness the staging of the complexity of our story together. I don't know how I'm going to make that happen, and I don't know where I'll do it. We don't have anyone who can help us do it, and we don't have loads of money. But I just thought I'd mention that, because you never know who's in the room. <laughs> so if you're interested in our work, come and talk to me. I'll be around for the rest of the day. Thanks very much.